on today's message from Harvest Church of God. When you've met this Christ, you've met the reason to get up every morning to live your life. We're not here to worship Moses, Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob. We worship the one that is far better than any man that's ever lived. Jesus is that head of gold that's going to be the last man standing when everything's said and done. Stop listening to the voice of CNN, the voice of Fox News, and the rest of those liars, and tune into the voice of the sweet Son of God, because in these hours of trouble, He says, Fear not, for I am coming, I am coming, I am coming soon. You have your Bibles this morning if you'll go with me to the Song of Solomon. I apologize if I don't bring a Father's Day message. Is that okay? For Mother's Day, I preached from Isaiah entitled the message, The One Who Gets God's Attention. And so that was my Mother's Day message, so I'll be the same on Father's Day. And today I just want to focus our attention on Christ. I just want to see Jesus in this place and to be blessed of Him. So I want to preach for just a little while from a question, what's so special about Jesus? What is so special about Jesus? The Song of Solomon, chapter number 5, I want to begin reading in verse number 8. And we have here a conversation that's taken place between the bride to those around her who will ask this question, or, well, we'll get it in verse 9. Listen to what the bride says in verse 8. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, that you tell him that I am sick of love. That means I am love sick. Verse number 9, there's, this is their question to her. What is thy beloved more than any other beloved, O thou fairest among women? What is thy beloved more than any other beloved that thou dost charge us or so charge us? Verse number 10, she gives the answer. My beloved is white and ruddy, the chiefest among 10,000. Verse 11, his head is as the most fine gold and his locks are bushy and black as a raven. His eyes are as the eyes of a dove's by the rivers of waters washed in milk and fitly set. His cheeks are as bed of spices, as sweet flowers. His lips are like lilies drip, uh, dropping sweet-smelling myrrh. His hands are as gold rings set with a, the burl. His belly is as bright as ivory overlaid with sapphires. His legs are as pillars of marble set upon fine sockets of gold. He, his countenance is as Lebanon, excellent as the cedars. His mouth is most sweet. Yea, he is altogether lovely. He, this is my beloved, this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. Father, we come before you this morning thanking you for your goodness and your presence in this church. We thank you for the people, the faithful people to the house of the Lord. God, because of their faithfulness, Lord, this church abides. And because of your faithfulness in them, it continues. We thank you for it. Thank you for this pastor and what he has meant to me. 
and how he has blessed me with wisdom and blessed me with help and blessed me with encouragement. We thank you now for the word of the Lord. We just pray and believe you, Lord Jesus, to touch us. God, speak to this church this morning. And Lord, I pray that as you look into this earth and look into this house, that as I preach this, this message, may Christ be seen of you in this pulpit. Oh, as it was said to the Hebrews, I have declared thy name unto my brethren, and in the midst of the church I will sing praises unto thee. O Christ, preach through me now to this your people in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You're going to help me preach, say amen. 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 What's so special about Jesus? Have you ever been around someone and you maybe have met a new boyfriend or a new girlfriend and you leave them and you say, what in the world do they see in them? What is so special about them? Brother Irwin was mentioning my daughter and her being five foot six. You're going to get mad at me, Grace, if I tell this. She shook her head, yes. She'll get glad in the same clothes. She gets mad. She'll be all right. She's dating a, a fine young man. Fine young man. His name is Thomas. Thomas is a good boy. Kind and compassionate. I watch him whenever they leave the house. He goes around the car and opens the door for her. Kendra looks at him and says, what's wrong with you? <laughs> He's a good young man. The thing about Thomas, though, is Thomas is vertically challenged. He's five foot four. I told her the other night when we was talking about all the rain that was coming in, I said, you know, I bet Thomas is the last one to know it's raining. So low to the ground. I said, I hear he's going to make some extra money by being a midget wrestler. She did not like what I was saying. Thomas carried Gracie to meet some of his friends. And when they met Grace, they saw her and looked at him and says, how in the world did you get her? Sometimes that question is asked, what do they see in that person? Maybe you said it about somebody. Maybe somebody said it about you. We live in a world that looks at us this morning and says, why are y'all in this church building? Don't you know that the rain's finally stopped now? Maybe you can get out and go enjoy the day and go do something else. But there is something special about Christ. That makes this place that is dedicated and sanctified to His name and to worship Him, it makes it special. The world doesn't understand this. The world has no idea of what Jesus means to us. You see, because He rescued me when I was in my desperate place, He means everything to me. Because He gives me peace in my time of trouble, He means everything to me. The world doesn't understand this. They, they, they wonder, why do you go back to church in the midst of COVID? And why do you run the risk of going to that place where there may be sickness in the house? I want to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not coming and looking for sickness. I'm coming looking for a Savior. I'm not coming looking for trouble. I'm looking for one who triumphs over trouble. And I've come to tell you this morning, the world doesn't, uh, doesn't know about you. It doesn't figure, it can't figure you out. It, it doesn't understand why you feel like you do. But I tell you today, the reason they don't feel the same is they haven't met Him yet. They don't know Him yet. When you know Him, you will love Him. When you know Him, you will walk 
walk with him. When you meet him, he will become everything to you. And I've come to tell you in 2021, when the hearts of so many are growing cold toward this Christ, to me, he is still everything. To me, he is still the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. To me, he's the one that's worth the songs that the birds sing and the clapping of the trees' hands. Ladies and gentlemen, when you've met this Christ, you've met the reason to get up every morning to live your life. He's everything. He's everything. What's so special about Jesus? I want to first of all show you a bride that's a lot like us. Now what I say here in the beginning may be a little rough, a little coarse, and it may be a little convicting. That's okay, isn't it? If God convicts us, it means He wants to help us, and bring us closer to Him. I want to first of all show you when the bride failed, or the, the bride who did fail, the failure of the bride. As we start in verse number 2, we see that the bride will say it like this, I slept, but my heart waketh. I slept. I found myself in a place of comfort. I don't know how it is around here at Harvest Pastor, but at Church Up the Brook, I got some sleepers. COVID came along, and I thought, surely the church will wake up. Surely we will understand that these are the days of fulfillment. As Jesus said that in those days before his coming, they would be filled with pestilence and wars and strife and all that we have seen within the last 12 to 18 months that we've seen in this land. I thought surely we would wake up. What I've noticed, and I pastor a wonderful church, so don't judge my church by what I'm about to say, but what I have noticed is we heard the alarm go off, we rolled over and hit the snooze button and went back to sleep. We've seen the political upheaval like we've never seen. This time a year ago, their cities were on fire because of the turmoil in the land. The sickness that was taking life after life after life. And the whole time those in power were lying to us about where it come from. And all these things were taking place. And all we seem to do is say, don't bother us, don't wake us up. But you see what woke up the bride? She said, I heard his voice. And I say this morning, Holy Ghost, let us hear that voice. That voice that still wakes the dead. That voice that still causes those that slumber to arouse and to stir up and says, I hear somebody is talking to me. You want to know what my church needs to hear? It needs to hear the voice of the king as it knocks upon the door. I tell you the answer for today's church is not to hear my voice, not to hear the singer's voice, but to hear the voice of the king of glory arise and shine for your light has come get up child of God and live she says I was asleep but a voice woke me up and she said it's the voice of my beloved the one that I love is waking me up the one that I care for is waking me up but listen to what he says to her open to me my sister open to me my love Open to me, my dove, and my undefiled. I love those, those termino that terminology. He just describes her. She may be asleep, but he ain't mad at her. 
He doesn't say, open up to me, you lazy wretch. He doesn't say, open up to me and get supper on the table or breakfast on the table. He calls her, first of all, my sister. Now, my wife gets mad at me when I call her sis. I'll ask her after church sometimes, what do you want to eat for lunch, sis? She'll look at me and cock that eye up and say, I'm not your sister. Well, Jesus called the bride sis, so I guess I can call you sis too. She's shaking her head no. Why would he call his bride his sister? It's not that that is a literal term, but it is a term that means she is there to stay. You see, as, as I can put it as best I know how, divorce comes and goes. A wife may be a wife today, but that doesn't mean she'll be a wife tomorrow. But a sister is born a sister. She's always been a sister. She'll always be a sister. So he says, you are permanent in my life. No divorce intended between us. You are permanent. But it doesn't stop there. He says, you're my love. You're darling to me. You mean something to me. He says, you're my dove. That means you are faithful. That means that you're, you come home to your nest every night. You come to the place where you know your love is. But it also implies to me that she is a vessel of God's good hope. Holy Ghost, the possessor of the Spirit of God. And then he says, you are my undefiled, which means you're my perfect one. You're my chaste one. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if you know anything about us, none of us are perfect. But I remember where Paul told the church at Colossae, he says, and in him you are complete. Ladies and gentlemen, when you have this relationship with Christ, he looks at you with all of his goodness and says, there's my one that's permanent. There's one that's dear to me. There's one that's faithful and a possessor of my spirit. And there's one that is undefiled before me. Ladies and gentlemen, you can't do it on your own. But when you find yourself hid in Christ, you come to a place of being perfect in his sight. He says, open the door to me, honey. I've come to you. And my head is filled with dew and my locks drop with the night. In other words, I've been out here for a long time. And I have my head's wet with the dew. You understand, you go out in the dew. You just walk out to your vehicle. You don't get that wet. But you're out there a long time and it soaks you. And he says, I've come a long way through a lot of darkness, through a lot of trouble just to get to you. Oh, do you see Jesus came from heaven, born of a virgin, placed in a manger, lived in a carpenter's home, walked this earth 33 years. He said to us in one place, the foxes have their holes, the birds have their nests, but the Son of Man had nowhere to lay his head. Peter gets him in trouble when he says, we pay our taxes. And Jesus said, I don't have enough to pay the IRS. Go down there and catch you a fish. And the first thing you pull up, look in its mouth. If that worked for me, I'd be on the bank every day. He came and he suffered. Then there's the dark night of Golgotha. 
in that place where his agony caused his sweat to become as great drops of blood. There he would intercede for you and I, and there he would ask the Father, let this cup pass from me. But the night didn't go away. There's the night and the, the accusation in Pilate's hall. There is the, the, the trial before the Jews. There's all of this back and forth. Then there is Calvary and those hours of agony suffering between heaven and earth. And there all of hell surrounds him and rejoices and says he saved others, but he can't save himself. Oh, we watch him there on that cross as he cries out, it is finished, and he gives up the ghost. We watch him as they take that body and wrap it up and carry it to a borrowed tomb and left him there. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, we watch as the soldiers are put there to guard that tomb. They said, we got to stay here, and we've got to make sure that no, no trickery goes on, no nonsense goes on. He's not coming out, but I'm glad to report to you the night broke and gave way to morning. And ladies and gentlemen, on the third day, up from the grave, he arose, a mighty triumph o'er his foes. He rose a victor over the dark domain, and he lives forever with his saints to reign. Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you why he did it. He did it so that you and I may know his fellowship. He did it because you and I were lost and undone and before God, but God commended his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He came to us. We see a picture of his sufferings in that in that verse, he says, I've come through the darkness. I've come through this awful place, and I'm miserable out here. I want to get in where you are. And in verse number four, or verse number three, I'm sorry, verse number three, this is how the bride responds to him. I put off my coat. How shall I put it on? I've washed my feet, and how can I defile them? In other words, you've come at a bad time, Lord. I've already set my plans for my own life, and I don't need you interfering. Oh, God help us preach right here. I have already gone to bed, my place of comfort, and you're trying to stir me out of my comfort. I've got life going the way I want it to go, and here you are inconveniencing me. Oh, that sounds like some folks I pastor. Preacher, we'll be there. Oh, I don't need to say what I feel like saying here. We'll be there unless the ball game's going on. I'll turn around and preach to one of these. I'll John and Jesus right here be good to preach to. Don't inconvenience me. Don't ask of me more than what I'm willing to give. Don't ask me to give a little extra. Don't ask me to wake up in the midnight hour to pray. Don't ask me to take the scriptures and read them a little bit deeper instead of going there for myself and trying just to satisfy my own carnal end, but go there and, and weep as I read the things that are missing my own heart, my own life. Don't inconvenience me. Is that not familiar to today's church? As a pastor now for over 17 years of my life, the biggest thing that I've been discouraged about is how people won't be put out for the Lord. But let trouble come to that house. Let those kids get in trouble. Let that job run out. And they're ringing that preacher's phone. Will you pray? 
Will you believe God with me? I will. I'll pray for you. I'm not going to do you like you do me. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to believe God for you. Ladies and gentlemen, we live in a very self-centered culture and a very self-centered society. You realize that the problem that we're reaping in America today is because years ago we started handing out trophies just because we show up. I'm preaching too rough. Hang in here with me. It'll get better. We're living in a culture that it's self-centered. The God of self is the new God in the neighborhood. And here the bride tells her king, you've come at a bad time. You've come at a time where you're inconveniencing me, and I'm not getting out of this bed. I'm not putting on my clothes. I'm not going to have to wash my feet again. You're just going to have to come back some other time. Oh, my God, help us. Verse number 4. The Bible says that my beloved put his hand by the hole in the door. She says, my bowels, that's where my emotions, my heart was moved by that. You see, in this day, the doors were designed that a person could reach their hand through there to see if it would unlatch, if it was locked. And by him putting his hand through the door, what he was saying is, I'm extending my hand of fellowship to you. I'm extending my hand of mercy you I'm extending my hand of grace to you in verse number five she decides she'll roll on out of the bed and as she gets there she says I open to my beloved and my hands dropped with myrrh what it is is where she put her hand is where he had had his hand you see back in these days when a man was going to see his his beloved he wouldn't leave a card in the door he would leave a fragrance and that way when she got there she could say well my man's been here i can smell the fragrance of his presence and she gets over there and touches the door and he's left her a token of grace and said, Mama, this is what you would have enjoyed. Myrrh was used at funerals, and it was used at weddings. It was used in sad times, and it was used in glad times. And this was going to be a glad time for her, but she missed her opportunity. But he in his goodness says, I'm not going to take it all away from you. I'm going to leave a token behind and let you know I'm coming back again. Hallelujah. I'll be back to this place again. She sees that, that that grace is dripping from her hand. She realizes what she's done. In verse number 6, this word gets so deep into my heart. She said, I opened to him, but he had withdrawn himself. He was gone. I came there too late. I laid in that bed too long. I told him he was inconveniencing me too much. I said to him he wasn't worthy, and he wasn't his worship. A worship of him wasn't something I wanted to do at that time and you know what he did he left he went somewhere else one of the scary things is is when God says I'll give you what you're asking for you say don't bother me I'm going somewhere else you say don't bring conviction to that church you, you say go somewhere else ladies and gentlemen I've come to a place to tell you when we lose his presence all that is left there is regrets all that is left there is broken heartedness and I've come to this pulpit to tell you what my 
my church needs is me to open the door and say, Lord, don't leave us, but come on in. Don't leave us, but come in here and refresh us. Come in here and renew us. Come in here and give us revival. You've been faithful to us through COVID, but Lord, the days are getting darker. The devil's getting meaner. Come in and work in the house of God. I open the door and it's too late. He's gone. I know it was him. I see the anointing where he's been here. He's gone. And this line of scripture gets a hold of me. He, she said, my soul failed when he spake. What she's literally saying there is my soul is crushed because he's gone. But I want to take that as it literally reads. My soul failed when he spake. When he called me, I didn't give the answer he was looking for. When he reached to me, I didn't respond like I needed to. How many of us have failed when he spoke to us? How many times has that pastor come to this pulpit and preached the word of God and you've been convicted over something, but you failed to respond? And you walk the next six, seven days and you can't find him. You can't find his presence. You can't get victory in that prayer closet. Ladies and gentlemen, she finds herself in a miserable place because her heart, her soul failed when he spoke to her. I don't know about you this morning, but I say, Lord, don't let my soul fail when you speak to me. Lord, let me be like Isaiah of old. Whenever I hear you say, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Let me stand on my tiptoes and say, here am I, Lord. Send me. I hear your call. I hear your voice. Ladies and gentlemen, the reason some of us are in trouble is because we failed when he spoke to our hearts. So where does this leave us? In verse number 7, it leads us to a place where now she's out looking for him. And what should have been a time of sharing becomes a time of suffering. She's now suffering looking for him. She's now going out amongst the crowd that doesn't appreciate him and makes her suffer. And that brings me to verse number 8. That was an introduction. Is that okay? Y'all going to hang in here with me? In verse number 8, she comes to her friends and says, Daughters of Jerusalem, if you see him, if he passes by here, would you please tell him, I'm sorry. Oh, what a verse this is. I'm sick of love. I'm lovesick. If you see him, would you tell him, I regret taking him for granted. When you see him, tell him, I'm sorry. I didn't appreciate the moment of his presence. When you see him, would you tell him I didn't mean it? When you see him, would you let him know I love him? It's my fault. The distance isn't because of him. The distance is because of me. Would you tell him I realize the mistake that I've made? We see the bride as a woman not, that she's not afraid to repent. She's not afraid to tell that she's sorry. And in this moment of pathos and passion that she expresses, the daughters of Jerusalem in verse number 9 look at her and they ask her the question, what is he? 
What's so special about him that's got you out here in the night looking all over the place for him? What's so wonderful about him that would make you get up out of your bed and suffer in these streets till you find it? Is that not the spirit of this age that says to us, what's so special about this Christ that you would suffer for him. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know if you recognize it or not, but there is a hatred in this land for the church. Have you heard of any problems with shutting down a mosque anywhere? Have you heard of any imam or whatever they're called, any Islamic preacher that's been arrested because they refused to close down their, their mosque during COVID? No, but you find where there's Christian preachers that are being thrown in jail. And the world is saying, what's so special about this Jesus that you would suffer these things? What's so special about him that you would endure these things? What's so special about him that you will give a tithe and an offering to his name? What's so special about him that you'll get up and call on his name before you'll call on anybody else? What's so special about him that you will live your life to honor him and to fellowship with him? What's so special about him? And then they notice how they do this, oh, thou fairest among women. In other words, you can do better. You can find somebody else. As I tell the young ladies in my church that's single and they want to come, I don't know what it is about young ladies and them wanting to be married. They're coming. They, I, I had three of them sitting in my office at one time, one Wednesday night after church, college or career class had, had gotten out. And, and, and for some reason, my kids, especially that age, like to hang around. And there's times when Kendra and I won't leave there until 10, 10.30 at night. Now, and my body's tired. I'm thinking in my mind, will you youngins go to the house? But then I also remember, Brother Roger, that we work so hard to keep them. And the devil wants them so bad, so I say, just let them stay on as long as they want to. And I sat in that office one night, and three of them sitting there, one of them getting married here in a month or so, and three of them sitting in my office, and, and, and uh, three or four of them, I believe, sitting in my office and talking about getting married. And I looked at them and I said, girls, those that had their dads in their lives and some fine men, I said, if you'll find a man like your daddy, you got some men, that's good men, if you'll find some men like your daddy, you'll be okay. Women love to get married. And I had to tell some of them, it's not a problem about you finding somebody. Am I preaching okay? It's not a matter of finding somebody. You can find somebody. It's not a matter of that. It's finding the somebody. It's finding the right somebody. Waylon Jennings said it like this, that great theologian. said, I can get myself more women than any two men or a passenger train can haul. That's what he said. It's not a matter about getting somebody. It's getting the right somebody. And here these women are telling the bride, saying, you can just get anybody else. But I want to stop and tell you, when you've had Jesus, all others will fail by comparison. When you have met this Christ, all others will be 
pitiful and sad by comparison for there is none like this lowly Jesus no not one you can try to replace him with alcohol and the alcohol will leave you broken and bitter you can try to replace him with your drugs but the drugs will leave you broken and bitter you can try to replace him with every man woman boy or girl in the neighborhood but that will leave you broken and bitter there is no one like this Christ and when you've met him nobody else will satisfy He said, what's so special about him? And if I could quote her in my own way, I hear her say, I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you about him. Let me tell you about my beloved. In verse number 10, he is white and ruddy. That's got nothing to do with race, but everything to do with radiance. He shines. He is glorious. It speaks of purity and health. He's not some sickly Lord. He's not dealing with high blood pressure. His eyesight's not getting dim. He's not suffering from the shakes. He's not having problems with his sugar. He's not having problems with arthritis. Brother Roger said, I was looking good. I said, brother, last week I was having a problem in this right arm. This past week I've been having a problem in my back. And oh, I said, I'm, I'm 46 years old. And pastor called me a young man. I said, Shaw, he's talking about me. Amen. It's been a long time since somebody called me that. Preached in a camp meeting service a few weeks ago for a friend of mine. And a young preacher was there I hadn't seen in a while. He went up to my dad and said, why does he dye his mustache? I don't dye my mustache. The chin just happens to grow white. I can't help it. And when I look at this Jesus... I see that his health is still strong. Amen. His memory is still good. We may have a president in the White House right now that doesn't know what day of the week it is, but I've got a king on the throne that his mind is still sharp and still good. He's not having health issues. He's not having problems in his body, and his glory still outshines all others that would try to uh, contend for his name. He is the chiefest. Chiefest among ten thousand. You know what that means? That means he stands out above all others. That means you can compare him to Abraham, and Abraham would say, he, got, he has me beat. You can compare him to Jacob, and Jacob said, he whipped me in a wrestling match one night, pinned me to the ground, made me get honest with him, and changed the way I walk. Hallelujah. You can ask, oh, Brother Moses, whose name's in the Bible next to God that's in the count. But Moses would say, no, no, he's got me beat. Matter of fact, the Lord your God's going to raise up a prophet like unto me. But you're going to hear him. He's going to be greater. He's the one in that burning bush. He's the one that spoke to me and said, get him across this sea. He is that rock that followed us in that wilderness. He's that manna that came down from heaven and fed us. He is that cloud by day and that fire by night. He's a better, he's a better, he's a better than I am. I'm about to feel a preacher's spirit come over me. We can ask David, 
And David said, no, he's better than me. He's better than me. He's the one that I heard stirred in the mulberry trees. He's the one that walked down into that valley with that giant and put that stone between his eyes. He's the one who is my shepherd, who leads me beside still waters, who puts mercy and, and grace on my trail every day. That's who he is. Daniel, are you better than him? No, I'm not better than him, for I saw him standing on the last days, victorious over every foe that rises against him. I can and hear Malachi say, I'm not as good as he is, for he's a son of righteousness, risen with healing in his wing. I've come to tell you, we're not here to worship Moses, Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob. We worship the one that is far better than any man that's ever lived. He's chiefest among 10,000. Verse 11 says that he is... His head is as the most fine gold. You remember Daniel interpreting the dream of Nebuchadnezzar? And Nebuchadnezzar says, uh, well, he couldn't even remember the dream, and Daniel had to tell him all about it. He says, you saw a head of gold, and that's you. That's the kingdom of, of, of Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon, and everything beneath it's going to be inferior. Well, I see right here the bride says of her Lord, his head is like fine gold. This speaks to his lordship, his sovereign rule over all the ages. This tells me that when he was, before he was ever born, he was king. When he was born in that manger, he was born king. When he died on that cross, a king died on that cross. When he rose from that grave, a king got up from that grave. And I want to stop here and just tell you, in America we measure things by the metrics of elections. In four years there'll be another election. And, and then after that, you just wonder how all that's going to shake out. But I want to stop here and tell you, he needed no election to make him king. He was always king. He'll always be king. And the gold of his kingship has not tarnished. It is not withered. It is not faded. It is still shining through all of the mess of human history. I see that head of gold standing as king of kings and lord of lords. There's coming another king in these last days. That little horn that Daniel talked about. He's going to usurp things. He's going to rule this world for 42 two months, three and a half years, he'll be in power. But the Bible tells me the world will say and marvel after him who is like the beast and who can make war with him. That's in Revelation 13. But along about chapter 19 of Revelation, I hear them say, I heard a voice in heaven. Hallelujah, the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. And there comes one riding on a white horse. His name is faithful and true. On his head are many crowns. I've come to tell you, Jesus is that head of gold that's going to be the last man standing when everything's said and done. i got to hurry up or I'll be here all day. His head is as gold, fine gold. I like this part right here. His locks are bushy and black. Pastor, do you remember when your hair was black? 
I remember when my hair was bushy and black. Well, ain't near as much bush there. Matter of fact, the bushes have died. It's got bare spots. And the black's turned white. Dad showed me a picture. I don't know how old I was. Somebody was at some family deal, and I'm sitting there with my old stonewashed blue jeans. Yeah. And the britches legs rolled up. Y'all remember that? Socks showed my white Nikes on. That hair is black as a crow. Thick. I said, dear Lord, what happened to all that? You know what happened? Time. Time. Pastor in the church didn't help, but time. And with us, you see the way time has changed us. But the bride says of him, his locks are bushy and black as a rape. He never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He never changes. Oh, I think I'll preach a minute right here. For those of you who've maybe fallen by the way or fallen into some snare or fallen into some sin, the same one that rescued you the first time is still the same. For those of you that may be having a marital problem, the one that gave you that companion to start with is the same one that will heal that union. He never changes. He never changes his mind. He never changes how he feels about you. I'm glad to report to you he is still the same today as what he has always been. The bride has confidence. Listen, I'm not the man I was when I married that girl 26 years ago. I'm about 60 pounds heavier, a lot thinner hair, and a lot meaner in some of my ways. But I tell you what, her Lord that put us together is still the same loving, kind, and faithful king he's always been. Verse number 12 says that he has eyes like a dove. I like that. When he looks at his bride, she says, all I see is are eyes of compassion. I see eyes like a dove's eyes that are compassionate and gracious and merciful. Oh, I think about some of them he looked at, Pastor. The Bible says he looked at that rich young ruler, Jesus beholding him, loved him. That boy would go away sorrowful, but he didn't go away unloved. I'll remember Simon Peter in his failure and his denying of his Lord, not once, not twice, but three times in the Bible says when that rooster crowed, Jesus looked at Peter. I also remember that same man that had denied his Lord. Jesus saw him in his struggle on the sea. I look at Mary Magdalene and she could say, I had seven devils in me, but one day he looked at me. And his look brought deliverance. I see him as he weeps with the sisters of Lazarus. 
as he looks at those brokenhearted girls and he sees the sorrow of their heart. Ladies and gentlemen, can I just stop and tell you he's looking at you. He sees you. He sees the hurt. He sees the disappointment. He sees the failure. And with eyes like a dove, he is compassionate. I move faster than I am. Verse number 13 said his cheeks are like beds of spices and sweet flowers. His lips like lilies that drop sweet-smelling myrrh. That's his countenance. When he looks at you, his presence brings freshness to your life. It's not the smell of death. It's not the stench of judgment. But it's the fragrance of life when he looks your way. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. There may be somebody sitting in this place and you'd say, Preacher, all I've lived this week is death. Let Jesus look your direction. And the fragrance of the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valley will break forth in your life. There's a fragrance of His face, His presence toward you. Verse number 14 says, and I love this, His hands are as gold rings set with the burl. Well, I thought his head was like fine gold. It is. That means he reigns as a king. But here I see his hands are mentioned as gold rings set with the burl. You know what? He not only reigns as a king, he acts as a king. His deeds are the deeds of a king. His deeds are divine. His deeds are powerful. The same hands that reached out there and touched the untouchable leper and cleansed him are hands of authority that says, I'll drive this sickness from your body. The same hands that when the, the apostles or disciples are, are fearful, they're not going to live through the storm are the same hands that stood on the boat and stretched out and the wind and the waves bowed down to the authority of that hand. The same hand my God I feel like running the same hand that reached down to a fisherman that's going under for the last time and picks him up as they pull him up on top of the water and they walk together I'm talking about divine hands hands of power hands that save hands that heal hands that deliver oh God stretch forth your hand to this house stretch forth your hand to this people and show us your power and your authority again Hands of power, hands that get things done. Talks about his belly, like bright ivory and overlaid with sapphires. You know what that means? It means he's sympathetic. He understands how you feel. He understands your hurts. He understands your problems. And he identifies with you. Verse 15, let me move. How long I've been here? Ten minutes? What's y'all laughing about? His legs are like pillars of marble set in sockets of fine gold. There that gold is. He walks like a king. But I like the way she describes his legs like pillars of marble. They are unbendable unshakable, 
unbreakable. Whatever is placed on him never crushes him. Mm -hmm. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't mean to bear bad news, but we're in a country that is being crushed. The foundations are cracking and popping. We're seeing an economy that is, we don't know what it's going to be. All I know is I'm paying twice as much for a box of ammo now than what I did a year and a half ago. Lumber prices, Roger, you've watched them go up to the point that people are having to add a third cost to their lumber. We're trying to build a building at youth camp and we're having to hold up right now because of the way things are doing. We've had prices given to us on things being done. They have to come back and say we can't do it for that now because everything is going up. And while all that goes on, you can't even get anybody to show up for work. You can't get jobs filled. People say I don't have any money. Go to work. There's jobs everywhere for you. We see a nation that's in peril. We see an economy that is in peril. We see a government that is in peril. We see leadership that is crumbling mentally right before our eyes. But I come to encourage you this morning, look to Jesus. What's so special about Jesus? Look at them legs. They ain't a crack in them. Look at them legs. They'll bear under every, bear up every burden, every problem. You think you got heavy burdens? Throw them on Jesus. His legs can handle the load. Go to verse 16. I'll hurry. And this is, I love this best of all. His mouth is most sweet. I can hear it now. The Pharisees send the temple guard to arrest Jesus. Go get him. Right here in this temple, we want him caught, arrested. They go to get him, and he's preaching. And something happens to those, those men, the, the temple guard, they stop. And they're mesmerized. They go back to the Pharisees and says, they say, where is he? They said, we couldn't do it. What do you mean you couldn't do it? They said, never a man spake like this man. Hmm? Ladies and gentlemen, I want to stop here and tell you his mouth is most sweet. Because in my time of peril and trouble, he whispers sweet peace to me. His mouth is most sweet because whenever I feel like I can't make it, he cheers me on. You can do it because I'm with you. His mouth is most sweet when the devil tells me I'm the biggest failure that's ever lived. The biggest loser that's ever walked the earth. He speaks to me and says, I saw in you something worth saving. I saw in you something worth redeeming. I saw in you something worth raising up to walk with me. Ladies and gentlemen, you may have lived like trash, but he never talked to you like you were trash. He talked to you like you were a treasure, and he sees in you what you can be. And so he, he speaks sweetly to you. He talks kindly to you. He, he speaks gently to you. I'm glad to tell you he never has given me a tongue 
lashing, but he whispered sweetly to me. Yes, there's been moments of conviction. Yes, there's been times where he's had to correct me even on the way I've been praying here lately. But I'm glad to tell you, he does it in a sweet, loving way. And he lets me know, son, the devil's going to whisper all his lies. But listen to the sweetness of my voice. It'll get you through. His mouth is most sweet. I can imagine that woman taking in the act of adultery, Pastor. That would say that. His mouth is most sweet. Because they was ready to stone me to death, and I heard him say, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Oh, that leper could say, His mouth is most sweet. When I said, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And he said, I will. His mouth is most sweet. Jairus would tell us his mouth is most sweet because when I got the worst news I could ever get that my little girl was dead and we were going to have to bury her and start planning a funeral, I heard him say to me, fear not, only believe. All things are possible if you'll only believe. Oh, the sweetest words I ever heard him say. Oh, I can imagine we can ask the Apostle Paul, how was that voice to him? Oh, it was the sweetest voice I ever heard. First time I ever heard it, it was, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And I said, who are you, Lord? But it was the sweetest voice I'd ever heard because by the time that day was done, I was a new man. For you know it, I'm full of the Holy Ghost and called to preach. It's the sweetest voice I've ever heard. I will tell you this morning, stop listening to the voice of CNN, the voice of Fox News, and the rest of those liars, and tune into the voice of the sweet Son of God, because in these hours of trouble, he says, fear not, for I am coming, I am coming, I am coming soon. mouth is most sweet he's altogether lovely altogether lovely he's got it all together sometimes I don't he does he's altogether lovely listen this is the bride that's unashamed he's altogether lovely in life in death he's lovely in good times or bad times he's lovely I used the phrase the other day, preaching to my folks, and I hope they understood it. I'm fixing to use it for you. Some days you blast off, and some days you just smoke. That makes sense? Pastors use an expression with me a time or two. He says, Brian, that person hadn't seen the ball since the kickoff. But no matter what season you may be in, season of triumph or season of lack, he's altogether lovely. Somebody wrote a song, Does Jesus Care? When I said goodbye to the dearest on earth to me. Course says, oh yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are dreary and the long nights weary, I know my Savior cares. Why? Because he's all together lovely in life. He's lovely. In death, He's lovely. In riches, He's lovely. In p poverty, He's lovely. He's altogether 
loved way. And this is her proclamation. This is my beloved. I almost like she's pointing at it. This is my beloved. This is my friend. Daughters of Jerusalem, what you need to know is I love him. And he's the dearest friend I've ever had. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He's a, he's a friend that is there in adversity. He's a friend to me. He is my beloved. I love him and he is my friend. And I want you to look at verse number 1 of chapter 6. And I'm going to close. This is how they respond now to her. Where is your beloved gone? O thou fairest among women. Where is thy beloved turned aside? Look here. That we may seek him with you. We got to meet this man you're talking about. We got to find this one that you've just told us about. This is your part, church. This is our part, church. I'm, don't get mad at me if I preach a little rough right here. Stop poor-mouthing your God. Stop telling how bad it is at your house. Oh, I thought, let me just preach to you like I preached to my people back there at, at, at the brook. Stop going on Facebook and posting every grievance you have. You're doing nothing but supplying hell's bulletin board. Stop doing it. Because you claim in the name of the Lord, you don't make him look appealing. But when you'll do like the bride and tell how good he is, tell how wonderful he is, those that hear the story says, let me meet him too. Let me come to him too. I need a Lord like that. I need a Savior like that. I need a King like that. That's our job. How, how, why is he so special? Because he's Lord of all. May all the world know it from this church that Jesus is so wonderful. I love him more and more. He is everything to me. Stand all in this house. What's so special about Jesus? Everything. Everything is special about Jesus. Father, I've done my best this morning to honor your son. And oh, I have felt, I've felt the sweet myrrh. I've smelled it, the aroma of your anointing. And I thank you, Lord. And God, what we preach today isn't some shooting over the moon kind of a thing. It's an experience that we know. Your mouth is most sweet. Your legs are like marble that's borne the burden of my life. Your eyes compassionate. Your hair black and bushy showing me you never change. You are the first among 10,000. You're radiant. This is not just preacher talk. This is life. Now, Lord, I pray for every person in this house this morning that may need this Lord, that they meet Him, and that, Lord, you'd come back by their house. Maybe there's some Lord that has put you off. And you said, I have an anointing waiting on you. God, let them come today right where they are before this Christ. And get what they need. 
in Jesus' name. With your heads bowed this morning, I want to give us an opportunity to make the place where you're standing an altar. Right where you are, you see, the king came to her where she was. And I believe the king's coming to you this morning where you are. If you're here this morning and you need, you need this special Christ, this wonderful Lord. Maybe there's an issue in your life and you need compassion, mercy. Maybe there's, maybe there's been a moment where you've missed his visitation and you've spent some lonely days by yourself, it seems, and you want him to return. Maybe you're in this place this morning and there's a heavy burden and you need his strong legs to hold them up. Whatever it is, whatever it is, maybe it's this. Maybe you're here this morning and you want somebody to hear about your Lord in your life and them to say, I want to meet him too. If any of this applies to you, would you just slip your hand up all in this place? Oh, God bless the hands that are being raised. Amen. God bless these hands. How many of you believe that he's going to come to your door and his voice is going to awaken your heart? Amen. Let me pray for you right now. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, you see every hand that's been raised. You see every person in this place that the burden is more than they can bear. But they heard today, your legs are like marble, set in sockets of fine gold. You have authority in that place of burden. Raise them up and hold them fast in your power. There's some, Lord, here today that need compassion. Because they're struggling with something. Would you look at them with that compassionate gaze and restore to them the joy of your salvation? Lord, there's some here this morning that God, maybe their children are under the influence of the evil one. They need those hands of gold that have authority to break hell's hold on that life. God, right now, do it. Right now, do it, Lord, in the name of Jesus. I ask you to make lights out of every one of us so that, God, when we meet back in this place next week again and this church assembles, that, God, they can say, their friends around them says, tell me about this, Lord. I want to meet him too. I see what he's done for you. I see how good he's been to you, and I want him too, Lord. Be that special Christ in their life right here, right now, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. What's so special about Jesus? He's everything. He's everything. He's everything. Don't be discouraged with what you're seeing. Don't be weary in well-doing. Your Lord your Lord never changes. He's faithful. He's going to help you. Thank you for allowing me to be here with you today. Pastor, what an honor it's been to be in your pulpit. Come.